Now, various organizations, political parties and economists say that the government has made a massive mistake by seeking the 70 billion rand COVID-19 emergency funding from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. The IMF board yesterday approved the 70 billion rand support package to help South Africa weather the economic storm brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the loan comes with an interest rate of around 1% and a much less stringent conditions than the IMF usually attaches to its financing. But the economic freedom fighters say they are convinced that this is a huge mistake. And uh, we are joined now by economist and founding director at the Center for Economic Development, Duma Kubula. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Hi, Sakina. How are you? Thanks for the invite. Uh, uh, thank you for coming on. So, uh, Duma, we, firstly, let me get your reaction to this loan uh, from the IMF. Okay, I think it's a sad day for South Africa because um, it's a slippery slope towards a complete loss of our monetary and, pol- and political sovereignty that um, thousands of South Africans fought for. Um, Andrew Mlangeli went to prison for the sovereignty as a country. And um, yes, so for me it's a sad day. And it's, yeah, I just have to mention one thing that makes no sense in the IMF announcement. They say the loan is to address an urgent balance of payments need. South Africa has never had a healthier balance of payments position. We recorded um, recently the first current account surplus in 17 years. We have also got 900 billion rand in foreign exchange and gold reserves. So I did put this question to the IMF and I said, why would the IMF was set up to help countries that have got balance of payments crisis and South Africa is very far from having a balance of payments crisis. Uh, you know, I actually went to look at that in terms of our position a couple of years ago, and yeah, it actually proves what you are saying. So um, the, the answers are still outstanding there. But with regard to the loan that has now been approved, the 70 billion rand loan, the, the IMF uh, has different lending arrangements. So do we know what the arrangement is for this particular loan? Okay, there is no loan that doesn't have conditions. So at the minimum, we have to commit to explain to them how we will pay the loan, how we're going to grow the economy. So in terms of how we're going to, we've already committed in the supplementary budget that we're going to implement the, um, austerity and um, structural reforms. Now, those two are the playbook of the IMF and um, the World Bank. So it is music to their ears. So it didn't take long for them to agree to the loan because we have already committed, we are already in a self-imposed structural adjustment program. So this money, Dumat uh, Kubule, and I'm trying to wrap my head around it, the 70 billion rand, what exactly can it be used for? Is this okay. money strictly for COVID-19 uh, relief, or can it be used for other projects? Because immediately... SAA comes to mind, uh, SABC, ESCOM, all the state-owned entities that need bailouts. So what exactly can this money be used for? Okay, I did talk to them, and then I put this question. I said, okay, so if it's for the balance of payments, what are we going to use the money for? The money lands in the central, in the Reserve Bank's office, and then are they going to use it to supplement their foreign exchange reserve, in which case we don't need more foreign exchange reserve. And they said, no, we can use it. You can pass the money. The Treasury has an account at the central bank, and they can use it for whatever they want. Now, the money 
Sakina has already been accounted for. So none of the 70 billion rand will be used to to rebuild the the damaged hospitals in the Eastern Cape. None of it will be used for the COVID response because in the emergency budget, the government said we are going to announce, they've announced a 36 billion rand increase in non-interest expenditure, which will be followed by 250 billion rand of slash and burn cuts in government spending. So none of this money will, South Africans will not see any of this money. Let's just take health as an example. The government has already said we are going to increase the health budget in the midst of the biggest pandemic in a century by only 2.9 billion rands. So that is where the money is going. The, 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 money is, the money is not going to help South Africans in any way. Let me give you another way. Our budget deficit this year alone is um, more than 700 billion. So the loan is less than 10% of our budget deficit. And it also makes no sense to be borrowing domestic, I mean, foreign loans when the UIF has got a surplus of 100 billion rands. So we've got foreign exchange reserves of 900 billion rands, UIF surplus of 100 billion rands, after they've paid out uh, the COVID payments to the unemployed people, they will still have a surplus of 100 billion rands. So why then, and I asked this question of the EFF, uh, if, if that is so obvious, why isn't it obvious to government? Well, the best answer I got, because I've been puzzled about this, you know, I got from the economist Chris Maricani. You know, this is not about money. This is about it's, it's to politically prepare the country for a fully-fledged um, IMF structural adjustment program because they can't achieve, the people who are committed to this program, the National Treasury, they can't do that through normal democratic means like through the ANC, NEC or through Parliament or whatever, you know, because it's going to be rejected. You saw when the DG went to Parliament, you got a big tongue lashing from the, the Committee on Finance. So it's messy to do it through democratic means. So rather lock the country into an IMF loan and the structural adjustment and when you do X, Y, and Z, you say, no, we don't have a choice. We already agreed to the EMF, IMF. So um, that's, that's the only explanation, because South Africa has the domestic resources to, to, to finance the 70 billion rands, and there's so many different options. I mean, too many to even name, yeah. yeah. So over the years, uh, the IMF, uh, the Bretton Woods institutions, for that matter, have uh, become, you know, sort of a swear word. Like, we won't go there. We, we, we will uh-huh. never, you know, take money from them because we've seen what they've done admiring other countries in debt forever, you know, perpetually. So what has changed? Why are we you, now you, at that okay. point? Okay, you've hit the nail on the head. So I did this article for New Friend recently, and I just documented their experience um, over the past four decades. So in emerging markets, we've had a crisis in Mexico in 1992, Mexico in 1994, sorry, 1982 in Mexico, Mexico in 1994, East Asia in 1997, Russia in 1998, Brazil in 1999, Argentina and Turkey more recently. So each of those uh, emerging market currency crisis has because of the loss of monetary sovereignty following the accumulation of foreign currency loans. And so what, so what I'm trying to say is that the IMF's track record in every single case, um, has, it has resulted in misery in the country that it was involved with. And in, I can just start, like in, um, let me give you an example in Zambia. Um, Stephen Lewis, the former UN envoy for HIV AIDS, said the IMF's loan conditions had contributed towards the spread of the epidemic 
on the continent. He says the Ministry of Health can hire no more staff and fully 20% of municipal districts have no doctors and no nurses. The fail has, the IMF has failed to grasp the demonic force of the human and economic carnage caused by HIV and AIDS. So during the AIDS epidemic in um, Zambia, they were forced to cut health expenditure. In Russia, after the fall of communism, they were asked to implement a shock therapy policy where they had to make a big bang transition to communism by the IMF and the international agencies. And it resulted in hyperinflation throughout the former 15 former Soviet bloc countries and a 40% decline in Russia's gross domestic product. And in East Asia in 1997, Joseph Stiglitz, the Nobel Prize winner, was scathing about the IMF interventions in the, in, during that crisis because most of the countries, they didn't have a budget deficit problem, but they were told to tighten their belts. And there are so many examples. And the lastly, I can talk about Greece recently, where the, Greece, the Greek debt doubled after the IMF and the Troika and became involved in their country. It is just the, the, the case, as you say, there is a long list of countries, developed and recently developing countries, and developed countries that have been under the clutches of the IMF, and it has ended in disaster. And the last thing that, you know, you know, Sakina, when you go to the Mashonisa, the first loan always seems harmless. But in fact, there's a study that was done by this UCT academic, and it showed that every country that is gone to the IMF. Um, 11 have gone on to rely on the IMF for 30 years. 32 have been borrowers for between 20 and 29 years. And 41 have been using the IMF aid for between 10 and 19 years. He says this shows how impossible it is for a country to win itself off an IMF program. So that's what I'm trying. It looks harmless right now. The 1%, that's what they want us to believe. It's the hook that's going to get us addicted to this um, foreign currency debt. Duma, this is, of course, not the only loan that we have actually applied for and actually got, and I believe there may be more on the way. So how are we, as South Africa, going to service the, uh, these debts, given our current economic situation? You know, Sakina, you know the original World Bank loan of Medubi, I think it was done at an exchange rate of seven. Our The ESCOM loan for Medubi... Now the exchange rate is 17%. And so what people, when they tell you 1%, they don't mention that there's huge foreign currency risk that can cause chaos. South Africa, we've got the most volatile currency amongst all, one of the most volatile currencies in the world. So there's this foreign currency risk. It's called the original sin in finance of borrowing in foreign currency. Now in South Africa, we've got the unique privilege amongst developing countries of having 90% of our sovereign debt denominated in local currency, and only 10% is denominated in foreign currencies. And I believe that I don't think that we should go to the New Development Bank or the African Development Bank as long as they're funding the loans in foreign currency, because foreign currency prices and every crisis that we've seen in developing countries over the past four decades has been due to the accumulation of foreign currency loans. And also, Duma, during this lockdown period, you know, the president promised us transparency in everything that was going on, all the money being spent. But we haven't heard back from so many of uh, these institutions that were meant to take care of the 500 billion rand, for example. Where are we with that? How has it been spent? Are we able to account for that at this point? 
You know what? At the late, at the recent um, central bank um, press conference, they, were, they asked the central bank governor, what are the terms of this loan? And he says, no, I can't tell you. We're going to post it on our website after we've signed it. Now, that is not transparency. And if you go on their website now and on the Treasury's website, they don't tell you the exact conditions on the loan. They don't tell us as South Africans what they have committed to. And if I'm on the website now, I cannot see anything relating to the IMF loan. And in the Treasury one, they don't explain anything. Yeah. But, but you're right. Is that acceptable, Sorry? Is that acceptable? Why can't we know? No, because ultimately we, we are paying it. Yes, because a lot of these IMF agreements are done behind closed doors, and we should know as South Africans what are the terms, the T's and C's that we've agreed to. And um, quite frankly, I haven't seen it. The governor said he's going to post it on one of the government websites. He said you must read the IMF website. The IMF website doesn't say anything, and neither does the Treasury website or the Reserve Bank website here. Well, Duma, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Duma Kubule, who is an economist and founding director at the Center for Economic Development.